You know, in life, we get asked a lot of questions. I'm going to ask you a question today. I will be brief. I, I understand the time. I understand that I am not Mr. Mingo and a great speaker like him. I understand that I cannot sing nor look as good as Jordan and Justin up here. So um, Jordan said, I, I, he's like, or Justin said, I'm not a pastor, I'm a singer. Um, I am not a pastor or a singer, and I'm aware of that. So I will be brief, but I do want to ask you a question. In life, we, we get asked a lot of questions. When you're young, the all-important question is, who do I date? Then it goes to what college do I go to, or why am I not popular? The question I asked myself this morning is, how does Jordan get his hair to be so cool? <laughs> I asked myself, I mean, he's singing and I'm like just transfixed by the comb over. Like mine is just, his is like, whew, it's sweet. Um, how do I take care of a kid when I am just a kid myself? What house should I buy? Will the Buckeyes ever get back to being the best? How do I pay all these bills? I messed up, so now what? When will I ever catch a break? How is it, this is the question I ask every time my wife brings me my laundry, how is it that I have 50 socks and none of them match? <laughs> Most of you asked that question yourself this morning. Why me? Why did this happen to me? How do I get back to where I used to be? What church do I go to? What career should I choose? Why did God let someone I love get sick? How could those people talk about me like that? The person I love just broke my heart. How do I recover? I lost my job. <laughs> what do I do now? How do I handle being sick? What happens when we die? These are questions that every person in this room as at one point or at one point will have to ask. These are questions that are vital questions. These questions are important, but every one of these questions hinges on the question that I'm going to ask you today, and that question is, who do you say Jesus is? This is the most important question that has ever been asked. Every person in this room and every person throughout history has had to ask this question. One of the politicians on the front row to the person who came in in the back row and has no clue really what Christianity is. From the pastor to the nursery, everyone will have to at some point ask this question. Jesus is going to ask this question in Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible, turn there with me, please. Matthew chapter 16. If you do not have a Bible, that's cool. Look on with someone else beside you. My, uh, one of my good friends' name is Mike Duffy, and he, he loves, loves, loves his Bible. And we were having a discussion about the Bible, and he said, man, um, the book of Palms is incredible to me. He's like, I love the book of Palms. It's just, it's just incredible. It's alive. It's open. And he's like, it's not as cool as the book of Job, but it's cool. And then he was like, he said, is, is that how you say th those two? And I was like, dude, I don't even care what you call them. Just read it, bro. It's all good. All good. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Tony. Thank you for Pastor Denoff, Lord. Thank you for these leaders who are here, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I pray that you would go through us today and not just to us, Lord, and we would better understand who you, Jesus, the Son of Man, 
am. Jesus, of course, was 100% God and he was 100% man. And Jesus, in this passage, is about to show us his humanity. And he's going to do that by, by asking a question that each and every one of us asks frequently. We all ask the question, what do people think about me? And I believe that when Jesus asked this question, he probably leaned in to his disciples and he probably spoke a little bit softer and he said, hey, what do people think about me? You ask that question all the time, right? Yeah, if you're a family and you've got kids and you bring another family over to your house and they've got kids and your kid bites their kid and your dog eats their food and things go crazy, when you're leaving, you probably turn to your wife or your husband and say, I wonder what they thought about us, Right? <laughs> You've got special speakers here, and you've got special people here, and you've got singers here, and the singers are wondering what you think of them, and the politicians are wondering what you think of them, and you're all wondering what the politicians think of them and what the singers think of you, and everyone's wondering, hey, man, what do people think about me? I did this when I met my wife. Uh, My wife is here. Uh, Samantha, could you do me a favor and please stand? That's my wife. She's very shy. Also with her are my two daughters, Nina and Nicole. I love these girls. Yes. (laughs) I... um, I was trying to, I, you know, they're awesome girls, but we do have another member of the house. His name is Cromwell. He's an English bulldog. He is the king of that castle. So I have to be honest, as much as I love the fact that my wife and girls are here, I really wanted to bring him along, but don't worry, he's praying for you, um, and uh, he loves you all. He says his greetings. When I met my wife, I have zero game when it comes to dating, zero all right? I grew up in a town of about 80 people. My dad had 11 brothers and sisters, so almost all 80 of those people were somehow related to me. Uh, so that really limits your dating options. So when I got to college, um, I remember seeing my wife, and I know that as a pastor, I'm supposed to be spiritual and say, I saw her reading her Bible, and God said, this is the one for you. I saw my wife, and I was like, she is really good looking, and I need to get to know her. That's my first thought, full disclosure. So, uh, but the problem is I have zero game. I really do. My, the way that I asked my wife on a first date was I called her and told her, hey, I'm coming to Ohio for the 4th of July to see you and we're going to go on a date. That's probably the least romantic way to ever ask somebody on a date. So she's like, eh, okay, all right. <laughs> and uh, I showed up and uh, it was great. We had a great date. Then I went to her church. And um, this was my first time being at High Street Baptist Church. I work there now. So if the story alarms you, don't worry. There's hope for you. Um, When I first was introduced at this church, I was introduced as the feller from Michigan who's here to see Sam. And the people booed me. (laughs) They just were like, you know, I'm like, all these people are being introduced. I'm like, this is great. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah. And then I, was, I believe I was sitting on the left side. Yeah, this feller in the second row is from Michigan. People are like, boo. The only person that talked to me besides my wife was Jordy. I was so glad Jordy was there. I'm like, whoo. You know, after the church service, they had fireworks. And I'm like, this is awesome. This church has fireworks. This is cool. So we went out behind the, the property, and they had chairs. We were sitting there. During the middle of the fireworks, one of the fireworks tips over and comes launching straight at me. It's right at my face. So I, I'm, I don't know what to do. Fortunately, it dipped down, went underneath my chair, hit the house behind me, and exploded. So if you're here today, and this is your very first time at this church, I say all that to say this. If nobody booed you and nobody shot a firework at your face, you are definitely welcome. All right, these people love you. You know, uh, the date went great. It was awesome. It was wonderful. I was so excited. I was driving home. This is how excited I was about my date. I was listening to Christmas music the entire way home on the 4th of July. I was just in, on cloud nine. I was in love. There was people in cars beside me who were sitting in traffic. They're yelling at each other. I rolled the window down. I'm like, hey, I just went on a date with a girl. <laughs> and they shot fireworks at my face. It was awesome. I was so pumped. 
But you know what I did after that? I called her friend Cindy, and I said the same question that Jesus asked. Hey, what does Sam think about me? The answers that Jesus gets is amazing. And they said in verse 14, some say, thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. These are really good answers. If I pass away, I would hope that somebody would be like, man, this is a good guy. He reminds me of John the Baptist. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Elias goes to heaven in a fiery chariot, or one of the prophets. These are really, really good answers. But they are not the answers that Jesus Christ is looking for. Look with me. We're going to read verses 15 through 18. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. Peter got the answer right. See, the truth is, the people said that Jesus was good, but Peter said that Jesus was God. And the truth is that Jesus is so much better than just simply good. David described Jesus as my strength, my rock, my shield, my fortress, my deliverer, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my shepherd, my hope, my trust for my youth, my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge, the strength of my heart, my portion, my king of old, my king, the rock of my refuge, my song, the strength of my salvation, my high tower, my goodness, and my God. John said about Jesus, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Genesis describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Revelation describes him as he that is liveth and was dead and is alive evermore, holding the keys to death and to hell. The truth is, Jesus is not simply good. Jesus is God. If Jesus was simply good, there's no point in any of us being here besides to listen to some good music and get together and talk. If Jesus was simply good, then we'll pack up, we'll go home, we'll eat some good food, we'll watch some basketball or whatever it is, and we'll just call this a day if Jesus was simply good. But Jesus was so much more than good, he was God. And Peter figured it out. So when I read these verses, I thought, what, what made the difference between Peter and all these people? How is it that one person says about Jesus, you are the son of the living God? And everybody else says, you're a good dude. You're a good guy. Jesus is a good guy. What makes that difference? What makes a difference today in our churches where one person during, the, during the, the music is like, oh God, you are amazing. And the rest of us are like, I didn't get enough coffee this morning. I don't like this song. It's not my favorite. Yeah, these guys are all right. And one person is worshiping Christ. And when the sermon is being preached, one person is locked in and they're attentive and they're reading and they're studying. And the other people are like, this guy talks so long and I just found out he's from Michigan and I don't like him already. <laughs> right? What makes that difference? The difference is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Matthew chapter 14, we're going fast, I'll be quick. Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. And when it was evening... His disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break. And this is the key. Gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat. And were filled. And they took up the fragrance that remained, 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten about 5,000 men beside women 
and children. The difference between recognizing that Jesus is good and Jesus is God is simple as this. The bread was given to the people, but the bread was given through the disciples. He gave this miracle through Peter. See, people are, are always saying to us, I grew up in a church. I've heard thousands of sermons. I've heard funny sermons, long sermons, short sermons, weird sermons, sermons that made no sense, sermons that were perfect, sermons that were wild. I've heard them all. My dad's a pastor. From the time I was born, I've heard them all. But every time that people leave a church, they inevitably say the same exact thing. Well, I'm no longer being fed. That's what they always say. Christ was no longer feeding me at this church. I would say to you, your explanation of Jesus is determined by your experience with Jesus. If Jesus is simply going to you, then you will simply view Jesus Christ as good. But if Jesus Christ comes down and goes through you, your explanation of him changes entirely. The truth is Christ did not call us to be fed. He called us to feed. What did Jesus Christ say to Peter? He said, feed my sheep. Christ did not call us to simply be people who were fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me church, give me church, give me church, give me church. Give me God, give me God, give me God. Christ called us to be the people that say, the God of this city, I want to go through me. When Christ goes through you, your explanation of him changes entirely. When I was in college, it was 2005, Hurricane Katrina probably saved my life. Um, I was in college. I was not happy in college. I wasn't happy where I was. The church I was at, I just was, I just, I just was no longer a part of it. I was studying to be a pastor, and I didn't even want to go to church, and that's sad. The, the music that moved me before no longer had any, any impact on me. The sermons that moved me before no longer had any impact on me. The things that at the invitation when I would come forward and, and God would just pour out his spirit upon me no longer happened. My family was going through a really, really rough time, and my family's the type where if you hurt one of us, you hurt all of us, and my oldest sister had just been hurt in a way that we could not even understand. We had just found out that my grandfather was most likely not going to make it through the year. I was unhappy in college. I was unhappy with my job. I wanted to go home back to the farms. I grew up on a a large farm, and I loved it. I wanted to go back there. I wanted to be done. I wanted to quit. I didn't even really want to go to church. I called my friend Gerald, and I said, dude, I'm coming home. We're going to go swimming. We're going to do all the things we used to do. We're going to work on the farm again. I'm coming home. On the way home, the news came on about Hurricane Katrina. And for some reason, I was just perplexed by that story. I just couldn't get past that story. I just was like, man, this is amazing. And I thought to myself, in the drive home to Michigan, I wish that I could help those poor people. When I got back to college, I was going to stay that week and leave the next week. Uh, They announced, hey, if you want to go help with the Red Cross, the Red Cross is looking for people to help in Hurricane Katrina. We want you to go. To be honest, I was in so much trouble at the school that I was at, I didn't think they were going to let me go. I I signed my my name on the paper thinking, there's no way they'll accept me. I'll leave, go home, and call this quits. I was really honestly done with Christianity. I was surprised when they called me the next day and said, Jason, we really want you to go. It was an amazing experience. We, 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 did some, we were some of the very first people in those towns. Uh, I remember opening a door and being the very first person that a young girl saw. Gave her some scissors, some papers, and different things, uh, crayons in color, and we gave her some food and water, got a picture with her. Uh, we went in, and, and, and it was just amazing. We actually were in downtown uh, go, trying to bring food and water to the firefighters, and the, uh, 
The MPs had to guard us 50 caliber machine guns while we would sprint across the street to give these guys food because of the looters and the rioters that were there. Finally, we went to a place in Baton Rouge. It was a shelter. It was where the very worst of the worst were put. It was where the situation was terrible. Everyone there had lost someone. And we were there, and I really didn't know what I was doing there, and I wasn't sure why God even had me there. I didn't even really want to be there. And we were there, we were giving food and water, and we were trying to be an encouragement. And I walked out, it was evening, the sun was about to set, I was discouraged, I was tired, I had two of my friends with me, and we saw a, a, of all things, a Christian rapper come up. And this guy said, hey, I know you guys are that Baptist group, would you please uh, come on this platform with me and maybe we could sing Amazing Grace. Now, I'm not a singer by any stretch of the imagination. There is a reason that Jordan and Justin and Kayla did not ask me to join them in living He Loved Me. There's a reason. Um... And so I was like, okay, whatever. We got up there, we're singing Amazing Grace. And as we sang, people just started coming out of the shelter. They were flooding out. And more and more people whose lives were wrecked, people who were destroyed, began to sing with us. It was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. But on the very front row was a man who the entire time just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. We got done. I went down off the stage. This man found me. And he said to me these words, do you really think that Jesus has grace for me. I said, of course Jesus has grace for you. He has grace for everyone. He said, well, you don't understand. Let me tell you this story. When Hurricane Katrina hit, we were in our yard. When the, the levees broke, the waters came flooding in. We climbed a tree. I grabbed my, my wife out of the, uh, from the ground, and I lifted her into the tree, and I was holding on to her, and I reached down to grab my baby girl, but the waters hit us, and I could not hold on to her or my wife. I had to choose which one to let go. This man looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, I let my baby daughter die. How could Jesus have grace for me? I did that to her. For the first time in my life, I looked at that man and I realized I have no answers for you. And I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I know you're real. I know your son is Jesus and I know you came to this earth, but I have no clue what to tell this man. What do I say to this guy? This man looked at me, and I looked at him, and for some reason, God gave me the words, I know that Jesus is God, and I know that Jesus has grace for you. Tears in his head, he bowed, we prayed, and Jesus Christ became that man's savior, and from that moment on, my life has been changed. Why? Not because of me, but because for the first time in my life, Jesus Christ went through me to someone else. And if in America today, if we have in Columbus the God of this city go through this church, if the God of this city goes through each and every one of us here today, then we will have a different view of Jesus than we did before, and this world will be changed. We need a generation of churches who will say, God, I don't want the music to go to me. I want the music to go through me. God, I don't want the love that you have to go to me. I want it to be poured out through me to others. God, I don't want the mercy to come to me and stop. I want the mercy of Jesus Christ to come through me and to everyone I meet. You're here today and you have no clue who Jesus is and you don't, this whole Christianity thing's brand new to you and you're like, ah, I don't know, I just came to this church because somebody invited you in just a little while. Pastor Tony's going to pray. When he does, I would plead with you to come forward and get to know Jesus. He is your Savior. He loves you. He has grace for you. It does not matter what you have done or where you have been. Christ has grace for you, and he is God. If you're here today and you've been in church a long time, and like me, you were kind of just dried out and done with it all, I would say to you, look to Christ. 
He is amazing. He is powerful. And if we stop looking at ourselves, and if as a church, as a body of believers, we say, God, I don't want this anymore just go to me. I don't want any more for your love, your mercy, your grace, your peace, your long-suffering, your gentleness, your goodness, your meekness, and your faith to just come to me. I want all of those things to go through me. I want to reach out to them. Then we will change Columbus. If you're here today and you're hurting, and you can't even barely look at Christ beyond the pain and the bitterness and the anger that you have, I would say to you, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the God of this city will make all things else grow strangely dim the light of his glory and his grace.